Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. The State Assembly Judiciary Committee held its first meeting this week of an impeachment inquiry of Governor Andrew Cuomo over allegations that he sexually harassed several women, as well as other controversies. But the chair of the committee, Charles Levine, says it could be a while before it reaches any conclusions. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. We have been tasked with determining whether evidence exists to support a finding that the governor has engaged in conduct which merits impeachment under the New York State Constitution. Assembly Judiciary Chair Charles Levine seemed well aware of the historical significance of the first impeachment proceedings against a sitting governor in New York in over 100 years. Levine laid out the scope of the investigation. It will include charges by multiple women of sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior by the governor, and whether Cuomo and his aides covered up nursing home COVID death numbers and safety concerns over the throughways Mario M. Cuomo Bridge. The speaker has directed us to examine all credible allegations. The ranking Republican on the committee, Michael Montesano, called the allegations disturbing and serious, and he urged the committee to also investigate the financial details of the book the governor published last fall about his success managing the pandemic. Which he authored mid-pandemic before the details of the grave conditions facing our nursing home residents were brought to light. Other committee members urged the probe to also look into charges that the governor presides over a toxic work culture, where some women allegedly are encouraged to wear high heels and dresses, and to look into the leak of one of the accuser's personnel files to some members of the media. Levine says the committee has already put the governor and his aides on notice against trying to retaliate against any potential witnesses for their testimony. The judiciary chair also introduced the attorneys from the Davis, Polk, and Wardwell law firm who will be leading the investigation. They include Greg Andres, a former federal prosecutor. He helped put former President Donald Trump associate Paul Manafort behind bars. Andres says one of the first steps in the investigation will be to ensure that no one in the governor's office tries to destroy any documents. And we'll consider the use of subpoenas to ensure that the documents are produced and that there isn't any obstruction or any destruction of documents. Some of the women who say Cuomo harassed them have raised objections to the choice of the Davis Polk firm because it has ties to the state's chief judge, Janet DeFiori, a Cuomo appointee who formerly ran the governor's ethics commission. If the assembly ultimately impeaches the governor, DeFiori would preside over a Senate trial. Her husband, Dennis Glazer, was a partner in the firm for 30 years and has been appointed by Cuomo to two public boards. Assemblyman Thomas Abenanti was among several on the committee to question whether the law firm might be compromised. There's a question of a combination of bias, a possibility, and a conflict of interest. Angela Burgess, who heads the firm's white-collar defense and investigations group, assured lawmakers that they will conduct the probe fairly. Dennis Glazer retired from the partnership. 
back in 2012, and since then has not had any involvement in the firm's business or activities, and certainly not with respect to this matter. Chair Levine cited opinions by several law ethicists who say Davis Polk can conduct the investigation without bias. Cuomo in recent days has had no comment on the impeachment inquiry, and he's refused to answer any more questions about the allegations against him, including new sexual harassment accusations by a current aide first reported in The New York Times on Friday. Cuomo spoke on Monday in a conference call with reporters. As you know, uh, this is an ongoing review by the Assembly and the Attorney General's office, and I'm not going to have any comment on that. The governor earlier in March apologized if he inadvertently made anyone uncomfortable, and he denied that he ever inappropriately touched anyone. Neither Judiciary Chair Levine nor the attorneys could provide a timeline for completion of the impeachment inquiry, but they say it's likely to be months, not weeks, before it's done. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Meanwhile, this is the last full week before the New York state budget is due. But with the April 1st deadline looming, two of the three people in the room who hash out the spending plan are questioning whether the third should remain in office. Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus with more. Late March is typically budget crunch time in Albany, but talks this year are unlike any in memory. Facing multiple misconduct allegations... Governor Andrew Cuomo has defied calls to resign from dozens of fellow Democrats around the state, including Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, who, along with Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty, must agree to the final spending deal. Stewart-Cousins updated reporters last week on how budget talks might play out. I think the, the governor should resign, but I also understand that it is important that we do our job, and that will always be my focus and my conference's focus. Cuomo was accused by a seventh woman of inappropriate conduct Friday. The New York Times reported that Alyssa McGrath, a current employee of the governor's office, says Cuomo gazed down her shirt and remarked on her looks. The harassment claims are being investigated by the state attorney general and are the subject of an impeachment inquiry in the assembly. Another aide to the governor who has not come forward publicly alleges Cuomo groped her in the executive mansion in Albany. Cuomo has repeatedly denied touching anyone inappropriately. Deborah Katz, the attorney for another one-time Cuomo aide accusing the governor of misconduct, Charlotte Bennett, on Monday morning wrote to Democratic Attorney General Tish James, asking her to disavow a parallel investigation reportedly being carried out by Cuomo's office. Other accounts in recent days have pointed to a difficult workplace under Cuomo. Cuomo's aides acknowledge the office's hard charging, but deny harassment claims. One report by Ronan Farrow of The New Yorker featured the first interviews with former Empire State Development staffer Lindsay Boylan, who is now running for Manhattan Borough president. She accused Cuomo of harassment late last year. Farrow spoke with WAMC. I've now talked to dozens of current and former Cuomo staffers who, frankly, in private conversations, grapple with that very question. You know, uh, I've had people say to me, I was possibly bullied while I worked for the governor. Where is the line in terms of my deciding that crossed into inappropriateness? We're going to rebuild the state that is better than ever before. For his part, Cuomo spoke Monday at Grace Baptist Church in Mount Vernon, where he announced New Yorkers 50 and up will be eligible for the COVID vaccine starting Tuesday. So we are dropping the age as we're vaccinating more people. The event, a second rally with black leaders in a week, was closed to reporters. 
Cuomo did hold a conference call later in the day and said he would not address the latest allegations. This is an ongoing review by the Assembly and the Attorney General's office, and I'm not going to have any comment on that until the appropriate time. Back to the budget. Budget Director Robert Mujica was also on the call. He said given the latest federal COVID relief, previous warnings about a multi-billion dollar deficit are fading. Mujica says the state budget can now restore cuts proposed by Cuomo and avoid most tax hikes favored by the legislature. So as of now, and our, our latest talks with the legislature and staffs have been meeting uh, throughout last week um, and over the weekend, and we've identified over $5 billion in resources uh, available. Mujica says the discussion is moving now to new spending proposals. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Ian Pickus. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustino. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Alan? How about the revelation about U.S. Representative Tom Reed, the Republican from Western New York, Alan, who was accused last week of robing a female lobbyist back and unhooking her bra without her consent in 2017 as they sat around a table with other people. Reed apologized to the woman on Sunday and announced that he will not run for re-election next year. He said in a statement that the incident involved then-lobbyist Nicolette Davis occurred at a time in my life in which I was struggling, he said. He entered into treatment that year and realized he was quote, powerless over alcohol. Reed said he would not seek an elective office in 2022. Rather quick decision by Reed. Yeah, you know, Reed has been mentioned as somebody who wanted to run against Andrew Cuomo. He had said he wouldn't run, I think, for more than six terms. That time is now up, and he is now out. Of course, it's very hard to battle this kind of accusation. Once the accusation is made and it has a certain amount of credibility, if you're going to run for public office, it's important that you're clean. And Reed, who is, you know, fairly conservative, knew what he was doing at the time. He went into treatment, he says, but now you pay the piper. Yeah, and compare that to Governor Andrew Cuomo's current situation, where now a woman who currently works in the office of the governor told the New York Times that he looked down her shirt and made suggestive remarks to her and another aide, that's Alyssa McGrath, was published Friday. The story that Cuomo called her beautiful in Italian and asked why she wasn't wearing a wedding ring. McGrath is the first current aide to come forward publicly. A lawyer for Cuomo dismissed the behavior as unremarkable, if old-fashioned. The governor, he's standing firm. He's not going to step down. He's waiting for these investigations. And what we're hearing now is these investigations could take a while. He could potentially get through all of this and maybe not run again and survive it. Well, I think that's his strategy, obviously. That's why he said, let's do the investigations. And those people, many of whom really do believe that accusations do not and should not amount to conviction, have supported the idea of an investigation. That doesn't mean they are supporting exoneration if the investigation shows wrongdoing. And if it takes a while to do it, it'll be very interesting. You know, Speaker 
Carl Hasty is after Cuomo. There's no question about it. And so is Andrea Stewart Cousins, the head of the Senate, both of whom are of color. And now we are reading that the black community is helping Cuomo a lot. That has to put a lot of pressure on these leaders who think that they're doing the right thing and who are now facing pushback from other people of color. So, David, it's a very tough thing for this governor who once had adulation going for him. But what is he to do? If he quits, it's basically an admission of guilt. He doesn't want to do that. So what he wants to do is to stay with his governorship and ride it out. Whether he decides to run another time is anybody's business, and we don't really know. You know, right now, his numbers are not doing well, but the numbers that count in an election are against someone else. And who is that someone else to be? So he may be thinking, okay, the way to exoneration is to actually run again, even though it looks more and more unlikely. Speaking of politics, broken in the Times Union, high-level members of the State Department of Health were directed last year by Governor Andrew Cuomo and Health Commissioner Dr. Howard Zucker to conduct prioritized coronavirus testing on the governor's relatives as well as influential people with ties to the administration. That included Mr. Cuomo's brother, Chris Cuomo, when testing was not widely available. Mr. Cuomo's mother and one of his sisters also able to take advantage of the state-administered tests in New York. Officials in the Cuomo administration said the testing in those early days of the pandemic in March 2020 was not preferential, and they noted public nurses were being driven to private residence in New Rochelle, site of the state's first outbreak to test people who were symptomatic. Rich Azapardi, a senior advisor to the governor, characterized the allegations of preferential treatment as insincere efforts to rewrite the past. Nonetheless, it's not only in the Times Union, but in the New York Times and on CNN. Well, David, it is one more thing that the governor is going to have to contend with. Look, people were spending 50 hours on a telephone trying to get a test, trying to get the shots. You know, I get why people were really worried. They were worried about dying. They were worried about whatever was going to put them into a precarious situation. So they did what they could. On the other hand, it is one thing that will be a problem for the Cuomo administration, although I don't think it rises to anything except a judgment call. Well, it's official. Apparently, we have an agreement in New York on legalized recreational use of marijuana. In New York, this has been a long time coming. Yes. In the beginning, Andrew Cuomo was not exactly enthusiastic about marijuana. As time went on, he came over the line. And then it became a question of who was going to get the money, how it was going to be distributed, whether there was going to be white preference in all of this, or whether some of the money would go back to the communities of color and people who were at the bottom of the socioeconomic chain. And that's what the duking it out was all about. Now, the devil lies in the details, David. And if you say to social equity, what does that mean? Does it mean that some communities will be getting the right to sell in a way that some of the traditional dispensers of drugs and others cannot? We're going to see. Well, Alan, the governor of New York has never been keen on raising taxes. And even when he seemed to say it might be possible because of the projected deficit the state was going to endure as a result of the pandemic, he quickly now has rejected that proposal for tax hikes on high-income earners and restored planned cuts. We know we've gotten the money from the feds now. That's a big piece and that the deficit has, based on projections, not been as bad as projected. And the question is, is this move a smart move by the governor to lay this tax hike wish on the legislature? 
Well, let's put it this way. It is a smart political move. Nobody wants their taxes to be raised. But there is a question of the greater good. Now, Andrew Cuomo, from the very beginning, has been saying that he doesn't want to raise taxes. Speaker Hasty and some of the folks in the Senate are doing the opposite, saying we need to raise taxes and we need to basically soak the rich. This is very, very dangerous political territory, as I have indicated, because people have a real sense that we don't want to be paying more than we have to. And on this one, Cuomo was probably playing it politically correctly. But we will see whether the duking out in that conference room when they decide how it's all going to be handled comes down in favor of the governor's position about not raising taxes or the legislative leaders and their position about doing it. Among some Democrats, when you say soak the rich, they say that's pretty good. We want to do that. You know, David, it always starts, we're only going to do multimillionaires, and then it comes down to lower. Somebody I heard the other day was talking about $400,000 a year, and that's not where it's going to stop. So this is going to be a real contest to figure out who pays what. Legislative Gazette political observer, Alan Shartok. <laughs> listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustino. New York Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney was in Newburgh this week with superintendents from Orange County's three city school districts. They spoke about how funding from the American Rescue Plan will help their schools. The Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn has this report. Democratic Congressman Maloney was at the Newburgh and Large City School District's high school, the Newburgh Free Academy. Help is here. The American Rescue Plan will provide uh, $130 billion, broadly speaking, uh, to support uh, education. Here in New York, we'll receive more than $9 billion um, to support education. That's fantastic. Um, And what I'm particularly proud about is that there's going to be aid to our local school districts. So $30 million will come to the Newburgh School District, um, we believe. You know, another uh, $7 million will be going to Port Jervis. Uh, $17 million will be going to Middletown. $15 million to the city of Poughkeepsie. Maloney says school districts in his 18th district, which includes all of Orange County, are receiving more than $200 million from the COVID-19 relief package President Biden signed earlier this month. It is a false choice to think about whether to get kids back quick or get them back safe. You got to do both. And the way to do both is to have the resources um, in the American Rescue Plan deployed as quickly as possible so these guys can execute on their mission, get the kids back fully in the classroom, but in a way that's safe. And, and that, is, that, is, that is the good news about where we are on the vaccine. It's the good news about where we are on the American Rescue Plan is that we are finally putting our backbone behind defeating the pandemic, reopening, and reopening our schools safely and quickly, and getting the economy going at the same time. Newburgh and Large City School District Superintendent Dr. Roberto Padilla says the funding comes at a time of great need. It's needed to mitigate academic regression that was caused by the pandemic. It's important for taxpayers to remember that we anticipate this particular funding, one-time funding, to spread across several, uh, several years. And the money 
from our understanding at this point, is earmarked to support work directly in classrooms. He says they're waiting for the details about how the money can be spent and how the resources ultimately make it to the classroom. In Large City School District of Middletown Superintendent Richard Del Moro. Children is certainly in the uh, early learning ages need this extra time and effort, and this funding source will help our teachers inside this uh, avenue. Also, in the upper grades, uh, so many are preparing for the next level, uh, as well as seniors graduating. All of these areas need these extra funding sources so that we can provide it as soon as possible over a long period of time so that we can continue the learning efforts that our teachers hope have done Herculean efforts over this really very, very difficult time in education. He says the funding is needed to help the neediest children in his schools, where more than 80 percent receive free or reduced price lunch. Mike Rydell is superintendent of the Port Jervis City School District. Each of our school districts are looking at plans and collaborating and sharing ideas on how to best utilize this stimulus to allow our students to receive the supports and services that they need, as my colleagues pointed out, but also to help improve the financial stability of each of our school districts for years to come. Because uh, with all of this, there is a tremendous amount of uncertainty, and that uncertainty is what we're charged with uh, weathering. Absent specific details attached to the funding, Rydell says he understands that the funding would be used through 2023. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustino. The April 1st deadline for municipalities to submit police reform and reinvention collaborative reports to New York state is fast approaching. The Legislative Gazette's The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas has an update now on the process in Greene County. The Greene County Police Reform and Reinvention Committee met 10 times from September 2020 through February 2021. With state funding at risk, Governor Andrew Cuomo's directive for municipalities to reimagine local police policies has an April 1 deadline. Ella D. Bell lives in the Greene County town of Jewett and is a member of a group called Anti-Racist Catskills. Our expectation was for an open and transparent process that includes robust community feedback, dialogue, and the open consideration and inclusion of community recommendations. This exercise was to explore what we want our community policing system to look like, not just to make recommendations to the existing structure. But this process failed, and I feel like our county government failed. The community was barely notified certainly not engaged, and the only thing that was transparent was shutting out those that seek reform like myself. This was not in the spirit of the order. Bell says the final report did not include or reflect community feedback of anti-racist Catskills recommendations. If the reform committee would have worked with us, we could have helped increase engagement with folks in our community and created self and welcoming spaces to do so. 
folks that are Black, Indigenous, and people of color, these are the most important voices to be highlighted in this conversation. In their words of the committee, they claim they spoke with the Black community in a special private meeting. Dell adds no video conferencing options were offered despite multiple requests. The last meeting that the county legislature had on March 17th was to vote on whether or not they were going to accept the plan presented, and they did. It passed without discussion. So as a community, we're not really sure where that leaves us at this point. So we are exploring steps to dissent and hopefully find a way to continue the conversation and make some amendments because the plan is not officially due until April 1st, so we're hoping there's still time. Committee member Green County Administrator Sean Groden says the panel addressed 25 recommendations and met all the bars that were set in arriving at a fair, comprehensive plan. The committee worked, I, I thought, incredibly hard over six months, seven months. Very few of them missed many meetings. Even with the COVID restrictions, we still met via Zoom. We had multiple public hearings. I think we met every intention that the governor's outline required. Yes, I know one or two people were in objection to it, but one or two people of 47,000, I'm okay with that. Bell says although there were several meetings, organizers didn't make it easy for people to speak up. Posting information on a hard-to-navigate website on a page that's difficult to find, not responding to questions and comments and letters and making it difficult to attend or speak at meetings was only the tip of the iceberg. For example, I intended to speak at the meeting held on March 15th. You had to reserve a space to comment by getting permission from your district legislator. My legislator didn't reach out to me until 30 minutes prior to the meeting. And it's not possible to drive from my town to Catskill in less than 30 minutes obeying traffic laws. I asked what my options were to get my comments into the minutes, and I was told that I either had to show up or I could watch it on YouTube. Committee member Jeff Friedman is president of the Green County Chamber of Commerce. He noted that many people were reluctant to speak with members of the committee and says there are no personnel complaints on file at the sheriff's office dating back many years. We created what we believe is a starting point. We've all been asked to stay on the committee for the coming year. The legislature has agreed to keep the committee intact and continue its work. This was done within a very tight time constraint that the governor's office gave municipalities to work on this process. So that lends itself to not necessarily being as able to make as comprehensive a final plan. But it's my hope that this is just going to be the first step in a long process. There's more at WAMC.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2113. Or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.